Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. In today's episode, we'll be talking about talking. First, we'll have interviews with Eric Faust of Integra Connect and Chris Watanabe, a former executive at the Regional Emergency Medical Services Authority. They'll be talking about the particular challenges of collecting patient information during an ambulance transport. Then, in a sponsored segment by Care Credit, Senior Vice President Tuck Ross will talk about the behavior and treatment of patients as consumers. First, though, let's check in with Rich and Chad for Beyond the News. This is Rich Daly, Senior Writer and Editor for HFMA. And this is Chad Mulvaney, a Policy Director with HFMA. Thanks for joining us today on the Beyond the News segment of the podcast, where we take a quick peek at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. This week, we're going to talk about a mandatory oncology model among several new payment models CMS recently proposed in the second week of July. The radiation oncology model will use prospective episode payments for 90-day episodes of radiation therapy to see if it can improve quality and lower Medicare costs. Both hospital outpatient departments and freestanding radiation therapy centers will fall under the mandatory model. So, Chad, tell us what you see as significant there. It's a little, well, I guess maybe it's not surprising that this got lost in the shuffle with the chronic kidney disease or ESRD models that were released because obviously, you know, that has a much larger impact potential on spending and also health outcomes. But had this been released on its own, it would have been the news of the week because like you said, it's a mandatory model. I think what is interesting to me in this is that CMMI really tried to solve the perspective challenge by splitting the payment components up between the professional component and the technical component. So essentially, like what you see on the physician fee schedule, they're essentially going to do a 90-day bundle for the pro fee and the technical fee. The other piece of it that CMS continually reinforced throughout the materials related with the model is that this would be site neutral. So it's essentially going to be a blended rate that won't differ based on whether the services are provided in a hospital outpatient department or in a freestanding physician setting. So I think that's something also that flew a little bit under the radar in terms of of the model. The other interesting thing about it is is that with the five-year mandatory model, CMS is really focusing on 17 different types of cancers, which will comprise approximately 84% of those treated using radiation oncology. So it's, it's casting a fairly broad net. Exactly. And it could, uh, I guess, uh, as you say, it, it made important changes. So we could be looking at uh, CMS uh, trying to tweak the, these models to, uh, to get better results for everybody. Yeah. And in terms of dollar impact, CMS is is estimating that assuming they kick off somewhere between January 1 of 2020 and April 1 of 2020, which is their, their, their launch range, they anticipate that the model will save about $4 billion over the life, over the five-year life and impact approximately 350,000 episodes. Obviously, uh, another key component for many physicians is qualifying as an advanced alternative payment model. Yep, that's, that's exactly right. So participants in the model will have to confirm or verify that they're using a qualifying EHR. And then with the quality measures that have been selected for the model, it will also meet the risk requirements for the uh, alternative payment model bonus or the 5% bonus to the physician fee schedule. You know, what was interesting in going through the proposed rule over the weekend is that CMS didn't list the geographic areas that would be involved in the model. What they said in their 
analysis was that they would look to have CBSAs, both in the control group and the participant group, that accounted for 40% nationally of the radiation oncology therapy treatments. So basically, they're going to split it half and half between control and participating. So there's a good chance that uh, that oncologists out there could become involved in this model. Yes, and, that, and this is something that you're going to have to watch the final rule for because obviously it's not embedded in the proposed rule. Okay, well, that helps a lot. So thanks a lot for uh, those insights and joining us today, Chad. All right. Thank you, Rich. As always, good to chat with you. Keep up with the latest news developments in healthcare finance policy and practice by checking out our daily news site at hfma.org forward slash news. HFMA's Certified Revenue Cycle Representative Program is a great way to expand your professional purview. But don't take our word for it. Let Revenue Cycle Manager Morgan Coker tell you how it enhanced her career. With HFMA CRCR, um, I was able to enhance my learning experience with the certification. I was able to, to get a job a lot faster than a lot of my colleagues from my program. Learn more about HFMA's Revenue Cycle Representative Certification Program at hfma.org crcr. One of the most pressing issues facing the healthcare industry is the rise of the patient as a consumer. Conversations about payment can be uncomfortable, especially when emotions are running high about a patient's clinical situation. However, these conversations are necessary for accurate payment from the patient, their health plan, or a government payer. And as the HFMA Patient Financial Communications Committee heard from consumer groups, consumers want to have these conversations. Not only that, Failure to have a fruitful conversation about payment can result in unpleasant surprises for patients after the fact, which leads to dissatisfaction, which leads to loss of future business for the provider organization. One particularly challenging area when it comes to having a meaningful conversation about insurance coverage and payment is emergency medical services. Recently, I spoke with Eric Faust, president of Revenue Cycle Solutions, EMS division at IntegraConnect. He says the clinical needs of the patient have to come first. The condition of the patient is going to be the primary concern of the uh, caregiver and clinician and not collecting the payer information or demographic information. So you, you need to rely on technology and then you don't really have to be constrained by relying on technology either. There are other means by which you can gather this information, but it's usually going to be in a after the transport scenario. It's also important not to be constrained by the idea that everything has to be technological. You know, there are opportunities that we employ often in this industry where we hand patients a a card that has all the information about our patient engagement portals, websites, contact information for billing so that they have access to us when everything settles down and they you know, can actually, or they can hand it off to a to a relative to handle the different aspects of getting the billing information correct. There are other lower technology avenues to uh, to address this as well. One of them being what we call a wellness call, which is a call that we make to the patient after the transport or the patient's representative if they designated that to be like we understand that you took a an ambulance ride the other day, just calling to make sure you're okay. Is there anything that you need that we can help you with? And oh, by the way, do we have your updated insurance information so that we send the bill to the appropriate place? And that, and the thing that's nice about that is too often the most direct 
channel of communication, phone call wise, in the revenue cycle space happen in sort of a confrontational manner in the hard collection space after all the billing avenues have been exhausted. The wellness call really addresses that whole patient experience piece. You know, it fits nicely in with the triple aim. It is also a nice collaborative move or avenue in working with the healthcare community involved in this patient's care, the facility, fire service, if if this is coming through fire rescue versus a private ambulance company. So it kind of ties all those things together in a more congenial space than the confrontational, you're in collections, your credit report's going to be affected type of scenario. Once the information is in hand, there's still more work to do, according to Chris Watanabe, a former vice president at the Regional Emergency Medical Services Authority, or REMSA, a Nevada-based ambulance provider. One of the things that people don't realize if you're not in the ambulance business is that we have to take all comers, and that puts a stress on the system. Anybody that calls 911, we come. And so there's no triage, there's no insurance card. Sometimes we don't know your name. Sometimes we never know your name. So uh, it's very important that we really identify our patients quickly. Uh, We do that electronically, sometimes without any patient assistance. And we stratify them uh, for payment because, of course, a robust system takes a lot of money to operate. And because we take all comers, then we have the whole society calling us. So we have a large proportion of people that are either underinsured or don't have any insurance at all. Identifying which patients are likely to pay is essential, she says. So the organization doesn't spend time and money pursuing payment from people who can't pay. Many patients are already known to the organization, so it's just a matter of verifying information. A tool can be helpful, but best practices are key. When it comes time to have conversations about payment, Chris Watanabe says one tactic that can help is offering zero-interest payment plans to self-pay patients. Another is simply having a productive conversation with the patient that remains sensitive to their needs. So we set up a program within the bill collectors in the office. They were speak. They were going to speak to every patient like it was the first, the last, or the only time they spoke to them, because it may truly be. It may be your first and it might be your last because once they identify the number, they put you on block or they don't want to speak to you. So first of all, first, last, or only. So that sets up the conversation to be, you want it to be productive because it may be the only time. So we want a productive conversation. And the way you get a productive conversation is you keep it positive. You um, only use positive terms with the patient and you're working with them to get a positive outcome. And so instead of saying, well, we have a payment plan, you have to pay $50 a month, you may offer them say, well, we do have a payment plan that's interest-free only. We can give you varying amounts over varying months. Can we do that for you today? So we could set you up to start at $20, and maybe in four or five months when you have a little bit more money, we can move you to 50 What do you think about that? Would that work for you? So you set the patient up, and you only speak in positive terms to get a positive outcome. The other thing we used to have a thing is that you're their friend, you're there to set them up, not to get an antagonistic um, conversation with them. If we got into quality issues like you guys didn't take care of me, I, you know, I told you I was really sick and they let me go from the hospital, any of those conversations, 
we had a clinical backup with us. A supervisor on the clinical side would take those calls to address any clinical concerns. So the rule was no clinical conversations at all. If you got a complaint during the conversation, please contact and get them immediately to a supervisor who could walk them to any clinical concerns they had on the chart. If you'd like to know more about best practices for patient financial communication, HFMA has a great guide available on our website at hfma.org. And I'll link it in the show notes too. How do you benchmark your revenue cycle performance? Many organizations measure success compared to past performance. Others leverage software to benchmark against other facilities that share the same technology. But that only paints part of the picture. What about comparing your performance to your peers? Peers that you define in custom peer groups. MapApp is the online benchmarking tool from HFMA that helps organizations compare their performance against data from more than 600 facilities. Interested in taking the next steps to identify your revenue cycle opportunities? Visit hfma.org forward slash MapApp. As we've mentioned a few times on this episode, the patient financial conversation can be difficult, but it is crucial to ensuring patient satisfaction as well as payment. At HFMA's annual conference last month, we offered several informative sessions about this topic, and it's a topic many of our members and business partners are addressing. Recently, I had the opportunity to talk with Chuck Ross, Senior Vice President of Care Credit Consumer Product and Cardholder Marketing, about the importance of getting the conversation right. The complexity, the lack of transparency, unpredictability in the system. With more coming out of pocket for the consumer, the stakes are really higher for them and their engagement and their expectations as well. You know, one stat that we looked at is 169% increase in insurance deductibles for single coverage as workers with a deductible from 2006 to 2018. And another one, 46% of increase uh, in out-of-pocket consumer spending on healthcare 2014 to 2019. So you can see these are increasing at an exponential rate. The patient financial experience that we're talking about here is now so important as, as, as almost as important as the care itself because sometimes it's actually dictating the care decision. He says the first step is to consider what the patient is feeling. I think it's really empathy. Put yourself in their shoes. Think about when you make that appointment, when you walk in, when you find out, what do you want to know? What would make you comfortable? For any of those experiences, neat or elective, the first question really is, what is that recommendation? But the second question is always how much. And I like to think about it this way. The patient financial experience really begins before collecting the payment and sometimes even before the appointment. They're getting their info from maybe Google or WebMD or, or relationships that they have regarding financial policies, treatment costs, payments, and you know financing, financing options as much as they're researching the care procedure itself. So as they're going into this, they're thinking about how do I plan for this full recommended care with all the tools I have available whether it's insurance, HSA, FSA, Medicare, Medicaid, credit cards, cash, um, and, and which one do I use first? How do I use them? So I think it's really about giving them the capability to help them understand their financial choices and also really how to choose as much as during the appointment, the consideration process, and then also beyond. What are some things that healthcare organizations can do along the way to make a difference and really provide a better financial experience for their patients? I mean, this one seems fairly obvious, right? But it's that patients want to be well-informed and well-prepared. They want 
the best care for the best price. And if you can share those cost estimates up front, especially the out-of-pocket portion, it's always helpful. Cost transparency, as we know, can be very challenging. So it's not always feasible to predict these costs as such, but it helps to discuss the payment expectations up front, including financial policies, timing collections, so on, so that consumer or the patient can plan. Again, they may be making a decision of their own personal care based on this financial information that you're sharing with them, which is why this is so critical. Patients are consumers, and we, we need to put this in, a, in, in the forefront. The patient financial experience is really a consumer financial experience. It just happens to be in a healthcare context. 65% of consumers would consider switching providers for a better healthcare payments experience. So you can see how important that actually is to, um, to their process. They want ease, convenience, transparency, and the best care. And if you look at examples even outside the industry, there's really good cases of simplifying complex processes like this here. And, you know, if you think about the care is only given so they can get back to what they do. As much as the moment is here for us, the consumer really wants to use this point to get themselves better or make themselves into what they want to be. So help them do that faster with less stress. And there's as much care in that financial information as there is in the procedure. They're going to feel better about their decision over time as much as they do after your care. Any final words of wisdom for healthcare leaders who want to make the patient financial experience more of a priority in a world where, where they have hundreds of different things competing for priority? I know, right? It's complex. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think it's, it's interesting to keep in mind this isn't an all-or-nothing situation. It's not getting intimidated by envisioning a radically different future state with full-cost transparency, integrated digital mobile technology, and innovative payment options. I think that is to come, and we have to look towards that, but every step in the right direction helps. You can start by improving the patient financial experience simply through empathy, like we talked about. When providers recognize that patients have experienced expectations as consumers, that they have important questions, preferences related to their payment, and that cost can be a big factor in healthcare decisions, sometimes even a barrier to care, it's getting to that heart of change, and that's really where we start to um, you know, innovate. And if nothing else, preparing your, your staff members to field financial questions, provide what answers they can, and handle financial discussions with empathy and encouragement, that will go a long way. Honestly, the two come together, care and cost, and these two are really hard to separate. It's almost like PB&J, right? Both are part of the consumer decision, which is why this is so important. This segment was sponsored by CareCredit. CareCredit is a proven payment solution for your patients rising out-of-pocket health care costs. The CareCredit Healthcare Credit Card helps patients get care today and pay over time. When you accept CareCredit, your healthcare organization or practice gets paid in two business days with no recourse, helping to save time, increase cash flow, and reduce AR. Making a clear impact on the costs of care delivery associated with clinical decision-making requires tackling complex, difficult issues. In order to bring about meaningful change, organizations must address clinical delivery, physician engagement, and cultural change management. In today's Fast Five, we have five strategies to reduce clinical costs and improve performance. Reduce unwarranted variation in clinical decision-making through implementation of well-established clinical practice standards. Optimize care teams and operational processes to eliminate unnecessary duplication and ensure a positive patient and provider experience. Boost service distribution and access through better care management and capacity management across the continuum. 
Consolidate services based on centers of excellence, service line operations and access, and clinical quality standards. Manage performance with reliable data and reporting mechanisms. The information for this FAST-5 came from Five Tactics to Reduce Clinical Costs and Improve Performance. You can read it and other articles about cost reduction at hfma.org. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Beyond the News is produced by Rich Daly and Chad Mulvaney. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. HFMA's president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Special thanks this week to Jennifer Carlson of Payer Logic, and of course, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Care Credit. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, and reach out to us with your thoughts at podcast at hfma.org. <laughs>